Okay, now, just for a warning, once again, as stated in the beginning of the message, I'm going to remind you, this message is a message with some pretty heavy content that is not appropriate for young ears. So, if you do have young ones about, once again, this is a reminder to be listening either to this message in private or get the young ones out of sound range, please. Okay. Now, notice what Solomon here says about his wife. It's his turn. Let's first look at it in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, through Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, through Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, through Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bear twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of a pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amena, from the top of Sheena and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Thy lips, O oh my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, campfire with spikenard, Spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden, and eat his pleasant fruits. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends. Drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. Okay, Dr. Broadbottom. Sorry, but once again, pay attention. What did it, He did not just sit there and say, well... 
I'm going to talk about her face and her good looks. No. He talks about all of her body. In specific, he does mention her lips, her eyes, her hair, and her breasts as being two twins. And what does he say? I'm going to go to the mountains. The hill and the mountain. Meaning her breasts. And then he goes and talks about the flowing waters. He's talking about her breast milk. And he's talking about the spikenard and the perfumes. That's talking about the scents that are coming off of her perfume that he's able to smell while he's breastfeeding from her. This is a very descriptive ver uh, text about a man who is breastfeeding from his wife at the same time he's smelling her perfume. I mean, if a person has got perfume on, the only way, of course, now common day, most people's got, most women's got it so strong on, they, you could smell it ten blocks away. But I mean, here she obviously had perfume on, and he was right up against her breast and could smell it. And it says, he's talking about the wind having to be strong enough to blow across her bare body, her bare breast in the bedroom so that he could smell it. Why? Because he was so close to her, he had to have the air of the wind to blow across it to smell so he could actually smell her perfumes while he's breastfeeding. Because he wanted to smell her perfume at the same time. Because you got to remember the perfumes they had back then weren't half as strong as they are now. So he wanted to smell her perfume while he's breastfeeding. So he can enjoy his wife. But we today, oh, that's not dignified. Oh, shut up. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, now it is the wife's turn again in this love letters thing in the Song of Solomon. And let's look at it first. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, through Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, through Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, through Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and verse 3. I sleep. But my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me, they wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. 
What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven, his eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the beryl, his belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires, his legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold, his countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him there? My beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Well, as you could see here, now there isn't as strong as a reference here. She does give a good description of him in her way. But she does mention only slightly about him going to uh, seek lilies, that kind of thing. So that is, once again, a type of reference to him, once again, breastfeeding because he's smelling, obviously, her perfume as he's breastfeeding. So once again, another reference to the adult breastfeeding in, again, this chapter. Okay, now it is Solomon's turn again. And let's take a look first at the text. And we're going to start at Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. And going through Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 13. Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 4. Through Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 13. Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 4. Through Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 13. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, whereof every one beareth twins, and there is not one barren among them. As a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley, and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Wherever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of a minadib. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? As it were the company of two armies. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter! The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. 
Thy belly is like an heap of wheat set about with lilies. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. Thy neck is as a tower of ivory. Thine eyes like the fish pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon which looketh toward Damascus. Thine head upon thee is like Carmel, and the hair of thine head like purple. The king is held in the galleries. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. This thy stature is like to a palm tree, and thy breasts to clusters of grapes. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of the boughs thereof. Now also thy breasts shall be as clusters of the vine, and the smell of thy nose like apples, and the roof of thy mouth like the best wine for my beloved that goeth down sweetly, causing the lips of those that are asleep to speak. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field, let us lodge in the villages, let us get up early to the vineyards, let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O oh, my beloved. Now, ooh-wee, do you catch it? There are two definite references in here that are talking about adult breastfeeding. He talks he's going to go up to the palm tree and see it budding. That's talking about her nipples getting hardened, getting ready to breastfeed because when a nipple gets hard, it buds because it's ready to breastfeed because it's full of milk. And then secondly, he's going up to the grapevine. He's definitely talking about breastfeeding. He's talking about his, her breasts are like grapevines, and he's going to take hold of the grapes. He's talking about breastfeeding. It's obvious as the nose on anybody's face that that's what he's talking about. He's going to take hold of the clusters. He's taking hold of her breasts. He's wanting to breastfeed. That's what he is doing. And when you take a look at that in reference to Proverbs chapter 5, 15 to 20, there is no doubt that adult breastfeeding is talked about in the Bible. But, oh, that's not dignified. We should. What is so wrong with a man putting his mouth on his woman's breasts and her enjoying it? My opinion, if a woman doesn't enjoy her man being at her breast, well, then I've got news for her. She's got a problem. Because, let me say it this way, then she must not enjoy her man being close to her. Then he needs to go find her himself a new model. That's what I had to say about that one. Because... Just like you take a cow, stick that cow or that or a sheep and so, or whatever, and you put them out in a field of brown or dead grass or or or, or pasture like that, they're going to go and especially if they look they go and look across a field or a fence and see a pasture is green. It ain't going to take them long before they're going to find a bolt hole through that fence and they're going to go for the greener pastures. You ever wonder why there's adultery and fornication? 
in marriages, hey, if you're not willing to put that man of yours or that woman of yours close to your body, but somebody else is, it won't take them long before they're wanting to bolt. It ain't going to take them long. If you're pushing them away, and you're trying to be as far away from that, it won't take them long, Charlie. It won't take them long, Janet. It won't take long here. You give them dead, dry food, or in this case, dry breast, you give them dryness, you give them deadness, watch how quick they leave. And if you can't offer it, if you aren't able to offer it because of health concerns or whatever, maybe you need to sit down with them and say, look, it's time we need to discuss this and maybe bring in somebody else to help. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, now, as they say, women tend to talk a lot. Well, we find that out here. You notice who started this love letters. It was her. And, yes, she gets the last word in. And, boy, does she. Chapter 8, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 1 through the last verse, verse 14. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, 1 through 14. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 1 through 14. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 14. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. We have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver, and if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. 
Ooh-wee. Did you catch this? First of all, now, it says very clearly here, it makes it plain that he was breastfeeding. It says he sucked the juice of her pomegranate. That's her breast milk. Now, if that ain't a very descriptive wording to breastfeeding, I don't know what is. Other than to say he sucked breast milk. Okay? But then there's a sad note. She tells why he had so many wives. It's not just the fact that he ended up what God had a problem with all those wives. There was another problem here. She lets in on another problem that Solomon did that nobody knows about. Did you catch it? If you've been paying attention, you all of a sudden, if you've been watching the figurative language in this book now and understood it for the sexual meaning behind this book, you finally caught on to something Solomon did wrong. And it wasn't the fact that he was horny. When I tell you this, you're going to get disgusted, most of you. All of those wives, most people think he was making out with them. Wrong. He may have made out with them once or twice, but I doubt that he made out with them very much. The woman he's writing here was his favorite wife, so he was with her more likely most of all. It's pretty obvious. The rest of them, according to this woman's writing, she confesses that he let them out, meaning he basically turned them into prostitutes for bail. False gods, that's what they were for. They were not basically his wives. He was using them for wives for the false god worship. That's what it was. He wasn't letting them be for his wives. They were for false gods. You notice it says they were. he was lending out their pomegranates, meaning their vineyards, to other men. That's what it was for meaning their breasts for other, that's what it was for. See, that was a false God worship that was done. Now, see, God has no problem with, as we have seen, when a person has the need for another mate to come into the picture, when it's necessary. But you don't pay for that extra mate. Like a whore. See, but that's how prostitution came into being and all of that. It came into being because people are too stinking stingy and too selfish to help out when they're needed or to just come into the picture. And some married couples, some are so jealous that they say, well, well that's too tacky. I don't want to do that. Well, if you know your husband, if you had true love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, you wouldn't have been jealous. 
you'd love enough to realize, look, I'm not going to let my mate suffer. You'd love the other person who came in. And you'd love your mate enough to help them out. So that there is where Solomon went down the toilet. He went down because of the false god worship. He went down the toilet because of all this other. But yes, the main point is she got the last word in and boy did she ever. She told on Solomon for what he really was. Basically acting like a pimp. A modern day pimp selling out these women. Yes, he did. But he also, she confessed to the fact, she and him confessed to the fact that even back then, adult breastfeeding was common. A lot more common than it is today. And the fact is, there was nothing at all wrong with it, nor was it taboo, nor was it sinful. If anything, God endorsed it as a way to keep the human race healthy and strong. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, now let us go into our wrap-up here for part two, which will also be for the whole set of both parts one and two, but this is basically for part two to kind of wrap up everything we covered in part two. We started right after that big, long introduction, which is longer than part one, but part two, we had not only just about the history part of it, but we also covered the stuff about the breastfeeding, especially the adult breastfeeding. The adult breastfeeding, or AB, uh, the uh, adult breastfeeding, A. ABF, Adult Breastfeeding Relationships, ABR, also known as Adult Nursing Relationships, ANR. We covered that big section, okay, which is unknown to the Christian community at, as a whole on a big scale, but hopefully will now be known to it. Then... After covering all that big introduction, I got into first about the transgressing of the traditions, as I did also in part one. Why? Because that's typical. We're still doing it. Oh, we don't mind whining about people and their hair and all that garbage. Oh, we don't mind that. But yeah. Don't mind harping on that, but we'll still harp about uh, that. But yet we'll say, oh, well, there's a rule for God about tithing. Shut up. That's a tradition of man more than a tradition of God because really God, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a new law. It became of necessity to change that law of the Old Testament tithe because Melchizedek priesthood changed. Then, you notice, we continued with the thought about the yoke or burden that's placed upon the new disciples. Just like the 
those in the Jewish, what they call the Hebrew Roots Movement, we talked about that, they want to do the same thing today. They want to put that yoke or burden on us and say, well, you got to do these things in the New Testament church. No, you don't. You don't have to do that garbage. All you have to do is follow Jesus. That's all there is to it. And then why? Because we continued the thought when we talked about freedom in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus does give us freedom. He gives us freedom in him. Not that we should constantly do everything that we know is totally contrary to his word, but how do we know it's contrary to his word? We need to cover it like we did here. Cover to cover, top to bottom, and make sure that we know what really he had to say and make sure it's not a tradition of man that they've passed down for thousands of years through Dr. Broadbottom and his students at Baylor University where they're worshiping Baal. But make sure that it's really what God had to say. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we continued on with this thought. About Jesus' take on you shall not commit adultery. Specifically, where he talked about the eunuchs. Where he said, there be those that were born of their mother's womb, eunuchs. There be those that were made eunuchs of men's sake. And eunuchs that were making themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And then where Jesus said, if you be able to receive it, receive it. Basically, if the shoe fits, wear it. Then we continued the thought where Paul talked about to avoid fornication, every man should have his own wife and every woman should have her own husband. And then tying those two together basically by saying, look, if what happens if it's a married couple and put that with, say, for example, the husband be at war. They've already been married, and the husband goes to war, gets injured. What's he supposed to come home, make his wife a nun, for example? You see what I'm saying? And so then we tied that together. Then we continued on, and that thought was also continued on through what Paul said when he says the husband's wife belongs to the body. The husband's body belongs to the wife. And the wife's body belongs to the husband. The husband's body belongs to the wife. And the wife's body belongs to the husband. And how that when they're loving each other and considering each other enough, they'll love each other and respect each other enough that they'll care about each other's needs. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we continued the thought with what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how he said, I wish everybody was like me, basically, a eunuch or single. And, but he was saying, not everybody's going to be that way. But he was saying, I wish everyone were. Okay? But basically, if the shoe fits, wear it. Then he went on to say the most famous verse that everybody likes to point out, but they misunderstand it 
they forgot this is a verse in the context of a marriage chapter. He said, if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, come on. Why would he say something about marriage in a marriage, uh, about being married, if they can't contain, let them marry? Why would he say that in the contents of a marriage chapter? Well, he wasn't just talking to just singles in that chapter. He was talking to married people. So obviously, you put that verse, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, with Matthew 9, 12, he was obviously also talking to those who may have gotten turned into eunuchs because of war, whatever, and he was talking to their mates. If they couldn't contain in that situation, then the couple should come together and decide to go on. And then the thought was continued with the same kind of thought process about everyone should stay in their calling. Basically, if they could contain and stay within the calling of just being married, Okay, but if not, then so be it. That's what Paul was trying to continue the thought. But what? Dr. Broadbottom and his students at Baylor University, worship in Baal, could not do one simple thing. But it's something I suggested all along. They should open their Bibles, read them, and weep. And then we continued with what Paul was saying talking about how husbands and wives related to each other, basically how they're supposed to love each other, and that when circumstances required it, that maybe they had to bring somebody in if an illness or whatever caused a problem. But if not, they should just stick with just each other. And then we proved that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were two scriptures that proved there was a law that God laid down that was never changed, that was a multiple wives law, that proved there was multiple mates permitted in the scriptures, and it was never changed. Furthermore, we continued the thought in the New Testament, where Jesus actually promised, in fact, two of the texts, where Jesus said, in this present time, that he would multiply, not just lands and houses, etc., and children, but wives. In that list, he said that he would, in this present time, multiply wives, etc., to us in this present time. So, it's not just Old Testament, but a New Testament thing was backed up that it was a for the multiple marriage thing. So, it was not just, it was for a reason. It was not just a, for the, Reason of sex for procreation, but all it was not just because of sex. It was not just because of love, but we found it was for sex, procreation, to keep from adultery. But as we found later, it was also for 
the fact to reproduce, but the second reason was also for the fact, not only for reproduction and sex, but to keep a person from adultery slash fornication, but also to bear children and the idea was later we found it was also for the need and companionship of love. Amen, amen, and amen. Then we continued on into some of the more interesting things, like first, the tokens of virginity law, where we found that if a woman was not a virgin, they could prove it through a piece of cloth, where obviously when a woman had had her hymen broken, the blood would be on this cloth to prove that she had been a virgin or not. If she hadn't had that piece of cloth when the man tried to say she wasn't a virgin when he married her, she could be stoned or rocked to sleep. But if she had that, uh, well, he could end up never divorcing her because he ended up having to pay some money, and then he would never be allowed to divorce her. Then, of course, we found the law about protecting her husband, the law about the wife who wanted to protect her husband. If she reached to grab the other man that was attacking her husband and grabbed him by, well, hope you ain't got the kids around, but uh, grabbed him by the secrets, the private area, they were to cut her hand off and not think twice about it. Don't even feel sorry for it. It didn't matter if she grabbed him by this other guy by the ear, the nose, snatched the guy bald, yanked his arm off and beat him over the head with it, Yank his leg off, beat him with it. Wouldn't, didn't matter if she shoved his leg down his throat and fed him it. Didn't matter. But if she grabbed him by his private areas, she got her hand cut off. Nothing else had a penalty. But if she grabbed him in that one area, she's done for. And then finally, or I shouldn't say finally, but then we continued on. I should say, into the topic of dirty dreams. Where we talked about those who dream about, oh, well, you know, what if I fall asleep and I dream about some hot chick and I'm married? And I pointed out that dreams about the opposite sex is not technically sinful. But... What the scripture was pointing out was it's dream that that text is talking about homosexuals and bestiality and stuff where they take those dreams and put them into action and turn them into reality. That's what it was talking about. It was not talking about somebody who dreams about a hot chick and then forgets about it. Furthermore, there are the, some doctrines that take those dreams, uh, those scriptures, and say, well, if you fall asleep with a dirty dream and then have a heart attack two minutes later and you die, you're going to go to hell. Uh, well, they're taking the grace of God and putting Jesus to an open shame. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, but that's not the Bible. The Bible says once you're saved, you're always saved, and that's the way it is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, 
you better open your Bible, read it, and weep. All right. Then we continued with this thought about masturbation. And as we talked about masturbation, we talked about the fact that it was not a sin at all, not one place in Scripture. But before we continue on with the thought and what we were talking about, I want to point out something also interesting from a clip from a message that, in fact, the very brother who asked me about this topic, about marriage and sex, that started me on this spiritual quest to search out this topic and ended up with this big, long sermon. His name is Brother Evangelist Timothy Groover, Brother Timothy Groover, spelled G-R-U-V-E-R, Groover, and he does a, like a little radio-type broadcast, whatever, on our website. If you look under Sow the Seed Ministries, you click that link, and then you scroll down to where it says, The Word of the King. You'll find a broadcast there that he does bi-monthly. And, well, he did a broadcast, and if you look at the link there that says under his Word of the King, you scroll down to where it says, talks about the testimony of Deborah Gothier, ex-lesbian. You could get the whole message. But in there, part two of that message, you'll see this was done back in 2013. This clip is taken from that. So I'm giving you all the appropriate copyright stuff because it's appropriate to do so here. But Tim gives an interesting clip here that I want to play here in this message. Because he talks about his own testimony about what happened to him as he grew up. And it's very common for most, especially in religious households, and in the homes of many of those who have grown up in the homes of Dr. Broadbottom and the students of those who go to Doc, uh, Dr. Broadbottom, Dr. Broadbottom's students who go to Baylor University who have no clue what they're doing to their children. I want you to listen to this clip, and then I'm going to come back, and I want to explain what I'm talking about. I myself was delivered from... Uh, sodomite homosexual tendencies, though I am a almost 33-year-old virgin by the grace of God. The only difference between me and you, my friend, listening, if you're a homosexual, is God never suffered me, thankfully, to actually engage in the physical act. But then again, I was too ashamed to actually come out and seek anybody to do so. I was very ashamed of what I was becoming, actually. Being obsessed with Michael Jackson and uh, practically adoring that guy as a lost man on my way to hell, I, again, like Michael, was very much obsessed with my midsection, very... Uh, Effeminate. My mother had to often come in and smack me when she would find me in my room playing with myself. And before all said and done, feeling rejected by the opposite sex, being often made fun of, being called fag, faggot by my peers, all because I couldn't get none of the girls in my class that I liked to like me. Uh, I started to entertain the thought that perhaps I was what they were calling a fag. And I only went from fantasizing at night and doing the M word, thinking of young girls in my class to ultimately other young guys in my class. And again, if you're straight, and you're not in any way, shape, or form homosexual. I don't say that to gross you out, but I say that for the sake of any homosexuals listening, whether male or female, that I might all the more by God's grace get their attention and get their ear. You catch what he's saying here? 
his parents, specifically his mother, would come in and catch him masturbating, as he calls it, the M word, masturbating, and she'd smack him. What is my point? If you have a child and you're smacking them, you are giving them very clearly a message that is going to sooner or later either harm them emotionally or could lead them right into the same way it led him. There's not one scripture that says masturbation is sin. And if any of you got the guts to challenge it at the very end of this message, why don't you go ahead and email me at the email address that I provide and challenge me if you got the guts, you student of Dr. Broadbottom at Baylor University, worshiping Baal. If you got the guts, why don't you bring it on? Not one verse. However, the scripture does make it plain, as we pointed out in Genesis, that the husband of this Tamar, who was supposed to raise seed to his brother, spilled it on the ground. He was married, read it, and weep. He was married when he spilled it on the ground. It was coitus interruptus. So if you want to take that verse out of context, if you want to take that verse to mean anything, a married man who has to uh, masturbate, that would be sin if a person is married. So if the wife is not able to perform for some reason, for example, health reasons, and has her husband have to rely on mechanical means, i.e. a doll, or masturbative tools, or even his own hand, and he has to spill it on the ground, quote, spill it on the ground, unquote, and not procreate with a woman, thus wasting, quote, wasting his seed, unquote, that, yes, biblically could be classified sinful. Because he's not doing it with a woman when he is married, unquote. Since he is already married, he should be using his seed. But the fact is, since he is, since she has a husband and she cannot perform, that's when she should have the decency to say, since I cannot help you, I can no longer be with you. You need another mate so we could procreate and you're not wasting your, quote, seed, unquote. Or, quote, spilling it on the ground, unquote. But an un, a, quote, unmarried, quote, person, male, gender, is not in sin for masturbation because they don't meet that qualification in that text. That's what we tried to preach. And that's what we tried to show. But, of course, Dr. Broadbottom and them tried to take that out of context. Their problem is, 
first off, they never did know how to read in the first place. And secondly, their biggest problem was they never did do one simple thing. They never did open their Bible. They never read it, nor did they weep. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we continued our thought after that with the very topic that Tim kind of hit on about being a fag. That is homosexuality and lesbianism. Homosexuality and lesbianism. We talked about how that God showed that, wait a minute, men cannot produce with men, women produce with women. Basically, you'd have to be an aneba, a world full of anebas, one single-celled organisms. Then we got into this thing about effeminate, which then we covered transvestites, transsexuals, and what they are, and what a true transvestite is as versus to somebody who just wears clothing of the opposite sex because they're just comfortable, like a, a, a Scotsman in a kilt, which is a, a skirt, a Scottish skirt or kilt, and he's not really being a woman, okay, or acting like a woman or effeminate, okay, or a preacher that may have a robe on, he's not really acting like a woman, okay, so uh, we talked about those who are effeminate, and then finally, we talked about that very subject about clothing, what constitutes effeminate clothing, or, or uh, what is really the truth about clothing, is there really biblically Women's clothing or men's clothing? Is there gender clothing in the Bible? And what did the Bible have to say about men's clothing versus women's clothing? We hit this scripture where uh, it talks about Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. And then we also jumped down a couple verses to 11 and 12 and talked about how some people love the one verse, but they won't put the others with it. Oh, they like their uh, cotton polyester blends, but they... Uh, but yet they're the very, very first ones to harp about, oh, women's T-shirts on men. <laughs> Give me a break. So they're the very first ones. You know, they like to be nitpickers. Amen, amen, and amen. And then after that, we talked about, well, earrings or jewelry ornamentation on men and women and what the Bible had to say about that. Is it sinful or is it not? Then after that, we talked about the strange, the whorish, and the evil woman, how she's described and what the Bible had to say about her. And then after that, well, the seed of the adulterous woman was described, and we talked about, well, you dirty, rotten buzzards in the church, that you're just as bad. Amen. We talked about you're just as bad because how you treat the poor and stuff in the church. Amen. We did talk about that. Amen. Amen. And amen. And then we covered, well, a very touchy subject. Rape. And my thoughts on what should be done to that dirty rat and scumbag, the rapist. Basically, I think we should have done what they did back in the Old Testament. Rock that sucker to sleep. Amen. Instead of what we're doing now, slapping the sucker on the wrist and sending him out to do it again. Amen. And I think most rape victims would agree with me. 
And then we talked about incest, just like we did in part one, and talked about that, no, it's not mixed bathing. No, it's just a mixed bathing, as they call it, which is a woman in a bathing suit and a guy in a pair of trunks out in the lake have, or in a swimming pool have nothing to do with taking and getting naked and making out. They're two different things. Unless they're out in the lake making out or in the swimming pool making out, that's the only time it's incest. People that are close blood kin making out are two different things from making out in a bathing suit. Get real. And then, after we talked about incest, we talked about bestiality. That's where human beings are trying to make out with animals. Like a woman trying to make out with a male horse or something like that. Sorry, but uh, you can't produce children that way. Same thing like two men trying to make out or two women trying to make out, trying to make kids. You can't do it. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we talked about women, sex, and periods. You know, their monthly flow. And how that, yes, there are some scriptures in the Old Testament that says they would be, quote, cut off, unquote. But it did not say that they would, that it was so sinful that, that you'd go to hell for it. And also that there was no New Testament references that says you'd go to hell or that it was sinful. So that basically it's a choice on the part of the couple. Then we got into the big comparative sets about the land flowing with milk and honey. And how that obvious that God, when a land prospered, that not only your cows would produce more milk, but also obvious that was also in reference to the women's breasts would also produce more milk. And then after that, we got into the comparative text about the heave offering, which was very interesting that it was the right shoulder and the two breasts, and they were for the consecration offering for either a Levite priest or a Nazarite, or they were for the peace offerings to be given to the priest as their food. And it was very interesting that that's what the, the physical flesh meat to be given to the priest of all the offerings. That was the only meat that was supposed to be given them. And that it was awful interesting that it was the right shoulder and the two breasts. It was not the rump or the head or the, sh or the legs or whatever, but it was only the right shoulder and the two breasts. Now, isn't that interesting? And we pointed out how interesting that was. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we continued with this kind of unique thought, where Job told how men have breasts and have breast milk even, and can give breast milk. In reference to, he talked to two, about two people, how it was actually God talking to Job, how God made reference to Job that one man was rich, had breast and breast milk, while the other man was poor and didn't have anything. Basically, while the rich man, because he was prospering, had breasts and had milk in his breasts, the other one did not. Then we continued to thought with, saying that, yes, men did have breasts, like gynecomastia, the medical condition known today as gynecomastia, or enlarged breasts. We talked about Moses 
making reference to men having enlarged breasts, with Moses saying, as a nursing father beareth the sucking child. And it was interesting that he did not say as a nursing mother. He said as a nursing father, talking about carrying out the children of Israel out and guiding them through the wilderness. And then we continued the thought showing that men had breasts that were capable of nursing. And we talked about the angels and Jesus having breasts and or paps, because paps is another name for breast, because the word teats in the Bible are tits, T-I-T-S, breasts or paps, all three are used synonymously, interchangeably for the same word. And we found that they, Jesus and the angels had breasts or paps, and they wore golden girdles in the book of Revelation. And so we found that out, and we talked about that. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we got into this, how that the Bible has it said that there is the milk of the word, the milk of the word. And that when you think about it, if Jesus has paps or breasts, that we as his children, how do we get it? Simple. The teachers of the word lift those babes up to Christ so they can suckle from his spiritual breast spiritually to suck the milk of the word from his spiritual breasts. And then we went into the topic of adult breastfeeding is encouraged, encouraged. And I'm not talking about not just spiritually, but physically, physically between a husband and his wife at a Proverbs. Then we continued the thought. We continued the thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, where that love is more than willing to give, not just as we found in part one, if it's necessary, another mate because of health issues or whatnot, but also, in this case, breast milk. They're not, they're not going to hide their bodies and hide them and say, oh, I'm going to keep this all for me. They're more than willing to give their breasts and give that intimacy. So their love, true agape love, is willing to give. They're not selfish about that. Amen, amen, and amen. And then we continued with this thought about the blessings of the breasts. The blessings of the breasts, talking about how that if a nation is blessed, that the breasts would be blessed, not just in because of the womb, but as you've got good food and stuff, you'd have blessings of the breast, meaning there'd be plenty of breast milk. It was a separate thing in that text, not just the blessings of the womb, but the blessings of the breast, meaning plenty of breast milk. Then we talked about the purity and the creation of man, just like we did in part one, that Wait a minute, their hormones were perfectly balanced. Their minds were perfectly balanced, everything. But when the fall came, there was needs that had to be met because of the mess up in the fall. And that's why 
multiple wives were needed. That's why, obviously, breast milk is needed to boost the immune systems of certain people, etc., etc. And then we got into the issue where the Bible talks about those who are suckling the breast. It talks about that. It talks about that, obviously, these are people. It's not just infants. These scriptures talk about not just babies. It didn't emphasize just babies. Obviously, these are also adults because it didn't say only infants or little kids. It's talking about, obviously, people of all ages. It just said those who are suckling the breast. It did not say just children. Amen, amen, and amen. And then, finally, we finished with all of our scriptures talking about of course, those who were promised, we were promised as believers, that we would suck the breast milk of the Gentiles and kings. It didn't say it would be the little babies. No, this is obviously adults. Then we had some texts that very clearly gave us a key to the last days. Four of those texts came right out of the mouth of Jesus that said in the last days that breast milk would be decreased. It said there would be dry breast in the last days. It was one of the signs of the end times. And as I pointed out, if you don't believe it, just go look in your local supermarket and see how much breast, how much baby formula there is it's very common there's more baby formula than there is uh stuff for uh uh pumping breast milk there's bigger sections on baby formula than there is for breastfeeding uh that should give you a big indication and then we finished off the whole kit and caboodle with the famous love note, love notes, I should say, between Solomon and his beloved wife as they wrote back and forth. And yes, even though you could take it as a thing between the church and his, Jesus and his bride, but technically, it was Solomon and his wife. And yes, there were connotations of sex in there, and yes, adult breast feeding. Whether you like it or not, it's there. And there was proof of that fact right there that Solomon pointed out that adult breastfeeding was practiced. And sorry to say, Solomon acted just like a pimp at the very end. He pointed, his wife pointed that out. It was sad to say. And that's how it was. So, whether anyone likes it or not, that's just the way it is. And to learn these things, all you have to do is open your Bible, read it, and weep.